Today we have quite the interesting account as we enter Luke. Uh, we, we, we did uh, 1 through 4 last week. We're going to cover a lot more ground this week, 5 through 25. So get your racing shoes on. As we talked about, Luke is a wordy fellow, and he gives a lot of detail here in this account that we're going to be learning about God's promise. And we're going to see a supernatural promise of God fulfilled in this. And we know that no promise of God falls flat. Every promise that God makes is fulfilled. And we see that in Numbers 23, 19. We've read this before. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? We can always trust the God of our of promise. He is the God of all promises. And let's, let's go ahead and pray and, and get started here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we have a lot, to, a lot of ground to cover, and so God, I just pray that we have our minds set on you. Um, I know each of us has a lot of stuff going on in our lives. We just came off of Thanksgiving and probably ate enough turkey uh, um, to last us for a while. Uh, you know, I'm sure we had a great time. Hopefully we had good fellowship uh, with family. Uh, some of us may have come from these without great fellowship. Uh, some of us may have had some, some even relational struggles, as we know that we live in a world uh, of sin. But God, I pray that no matter how great or how bad our, our previous week was, that we are focused on you, and we know that we have you to be thankful for. Uh, even if our lives may be struggling, uh, we know that, that, that you are always there, that you walk with us, that you have promised to do that. So God, I just pray that you help us to, uh, that you open up our minds and our hearts to receive your word, and may we be changed from the inside out. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right, so as we move through this incredible account that we're going to see, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to parallel a couple of things, and I want us to look at the supernatural promise given here, as we see Zechariah and Elizabeth and the coming of John the Baptist. And we're going to see this crazy promise that God gives. I mean, just supernatural here. But I want us to parallel that with a promise that we have. And so every time that, that I preach, I want to make sure that I apply the word to our own lives. I mean, it's great to have knowledge, to have knowledge of God, to have head knowledge. But we know that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And so uh, when we experience the love of God and we allow it to work in us and through us, I pray that it, that it changes us. And, and that promise that we have is what? It's eternal life. We have the promise of eternal life. So the God that makes this amazing promise also makes the promise of eternal life. And we're going to see how those two promises are married in this account as we learn about the preparer of the way, John the Baptist. So as we study this, we're going to see four ways that God is always working in the midst of his promises. And the first is point one, God is always working in the midst of the perseverance of the promise, the perseverance of the promise. And let's go ahead and read five through seven as we get in here. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So we're told a lot here for the, for the, for the setting of this account, so we don't just kind of come in. I love Luke. He doesn't just like drop a hammer out of nowhere. He, he prepares you for what's coming. And so we have the setting. We have Herod the Great is is who's in charge. He's the king of Judea at this point. He was the king, we think about 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C. So this is getting toward the end of his reign, because we're looking probably in that 4 B.C. reign. Uh, and, and his reign was actually marked by a lot of success 
in the middle, but toward the end, he started becoming very paranoid and was a very dangerous man, as we'll learn a little further into this. The next, we're introduced to Zechariah, and Zechariah, we're told, is a priest of the Lord, which means he was a Levite. You know, we had, we had the 12 tribes of Israel, the Levites that came from Levi were, like Moses and Aaron, we're looking at, the, they, they were the, the priests of Israel, and they had a special place, and, and the priests were divided uh, into eight, or into um, 24 divisions, and he was of the eighth division, as we see in First Chronicles 24, 10 specifically. And these divisions were set up because carrying for the temple was hard work. There were a lot of things to do. One of those things was to burn incense to the Lord and to minister, and we're going to see that here in a little while. Um, and he was probably serving during the eighth week or the 32nd week because they all took two weeks apiece throughout uh, Israel to kind of share that load uh, better. And then Zechariah, we, he's married to Elizabeth. And, and we also learn here that Elizabeth was also a Levite. She was of the daughters of Aaron, uh, you know, of, of the priestly tribe as well. So uh, the Levites, like Zechariah, were able to marry any pure Jew. They, they weren't able to marry someone who was not pure, a pure Israelite. But it was thought even more holy if they married another Levite, because now you kind of have this double holiness. Uh, they're both of the priestly lineage, and so they had gotten married. So this was like a power couple, if we're looking here, and it seems like this is great, right? They're both of the lineage of the priests. Their lineage is holy. And then not only is their lineage holy, but they're told, we're told that they are holy, that they're walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Statutes of the Lord. That's a pretty, pretty incredible statement to make. You know, we hear that about Job as well early on. And obviously we know Scripture interprets Scripture. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sin. So we know that we're not, they're not perfect. But what we see here is that they're walking blamelessly. That means they've repented of their sins. They lived in a continual state of repentance, walking with the Lord, not, you know, not just doing what they wanted to do, but, but coming back and, and repenting to the Lord. So anytime we read something and we're like, well, how does this make sense? We let scripture interpret scripture, right? But despite all this great information, you know, we see this power couple. It's like, oh man, you know, if, if anybody deserves blessing, if anybody should have something good going in their life, this is the couple. They're, they're doubly righteous. They're both of the Levite tribe. You know, they, they, they're, they're living and walking blamelessly before the Lord. But then we get to this seventh verse, and something just seems off. It says, Elizabeth is barren, and they're advanced in years. So, so she's past her chance of having kids. And we in our culture, I mean, you know, we, we, we see that, and we're like, oh, you know, that's sad. You know, some couples that really want to have kids, and they're barren. You know, th- there is a sadness in our but, but back then, it was different than just a sadness. It was judgment. And, and so th- when they looked at Elizabeth like, you got something in the closet. Something's going on in your all's marriage. Something's going on in your all's life because here's what, here's what God says. And we see this in Deuteronomy 7.14. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. So if, if we look in this case, Israel's under the covenant of works, and there's definitely grace in that as well. Don't get me wrong. But, but God has pretty much said in Deuteronomy 7, if you do good, good things are going to happen. You're not going to be barren. You're gonna have, you know, everything's going to be good. Your livestock's going to do great. If you do bad, I'm going to judge you. And so, so that, that's where they're at. And so when they see something bad, like, y'all, y'all are bad. Something, something's going on. It looks like y'all are doing the right stuff out here, but something must be going on. May, you know, maybe your parents sinned. Something in your family, something's off. And because it seemed just incongruent 
with what they were seeing in the scripture at that point, and they had gone that way. And, and so one could argue that Israel isn't necessarily obedient as a whole right now. There's some, some issues in Israel. Obviously, Jesus is going to point a lot of those issues out as we get further into this book, as he calls the Pharisees brood of vipers and, and has a lot of really nice things to say about the Israelite leaders. So we can argue, yeah, I mean, so all of Israel was kind of under this covenant of works, and so it was more of a, a people blessing versus a people curse. So there is that aspect, but we, we see this actually spelled out even better in John 9, 3, when Jesus says this. Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now that is the applicable reason that we're going to see for this particular issue, although the other could be an issue as well there. Because God is going to use this sad situation, this situation that seems unjust, that, that they're living their life right, and, and she's barren. Things just aren't going as well as they think it should happen. But we're going to see God glorify himself through this. But before we get there, I want to make sure that we understand the covenant we're under. So we're under the covenant of grace. And, and what that means is that we aren't blessed or cursed necessarily because of what we do. You, you see that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? And you see some people that are doing everything right. As we learned about in growth group today, you're persecuted. Things go, go rough. Actually, it says we will be persecuted. It says that things will go bad. And, and even Jesus says when you are tempted, not if. You know, when you go through trials, no servant is greater than his master. And, and so we are actually promised that things are going to be tough as a believer. The prosperity gospel is a lie from the pit of hell. And, and what, what it makes you think is when things are going really well for you and you're, and you're rich and things are great, you're doing wonderfully. And we're not under that covenant, friends. We are under the covenant of grace. And the blessing of that, even though some of us are like, well, that's unfair, you know, if I do good, bad things are going to happen. We're under a covenant that, that we're looking at eternity. Everything is going toward eternity. We, Jesus took all of the wrath of God, and we live in a relationship with God that is not performance-based. How amazing is that? It's because the performance that it's based on is Jesus Christ on the cross. So even though, yes, life will be tough for us as believers, we're going to have good days, we're going to have bad days, we're going to have times of blessing, and we're going to have times of, of difficulty and trials. And, and it may seem unfair when you're making the right decisions and things just aren't going well. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to live your life exactly right, and you're by the book, and you don't have a spouse. Or, or, or you're trying to live your life, and, and finances just aren't where you think they should be. Or you're trying to do this, and, and you can't pay your bills all the time. God will provide for what you need. It's not always for what you want. But this is important because we are not guaranteed a life of ease as believers. And so I want us to always make sure we remember that. But we can learn an important life, or important lesson from the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, despite the fact that they're not being blessed at this point, that Elizabeth is barren, that she's receiving reproach, as we'll see later, from her people, that they're looking down upon her despite how, how well that they are living for the Lord. It, it also shows us that, that we may have struggles, that we may have loss, that we, that we may not always have the most tangible blessings that we'd like to see in our lives, but God is faithful. Our obedience does give us a spiritual blessing. We, we are blessed with a right relationship with the Lord because sin has been repented of and we're right with God. And, and that's the best blessing we could ever hope for is to be right with the Lord. And that's what we should live toward. We should believe that. We should live that. God, we, we, God may bless us with blessings on this side of eternity. I'm not saying that he doesn't. He is a God who gives us good gifts as we see in James. But I pray that we persevere like Zechariah and Elizabeth did. Even when things don't seem to be going fairly or justly like we think that they should, know that our promise is coming, that we will have the full realization of our promise 
in eternity, that we have heaven to look forward to. May we persevere. Second, uh, the second point here is God is always working in the midst of the preparation of the promise. The preparation of the promise. I'm going to read 8 through 10 now. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. As we mentioned before, he was of the division of Abijah, and now his division is serving at the temple. And we talked about this, that, that part of this was to burn incense. twice. They would, they would do it twice a day for that week that they covered. They would cover two weeks a year. And so it was thought that there were about 18,000 priests in Israel at this point. So the odds of getting in the game, uh, you know, twice a day, you only got two weeks a year to be able to go, uh, it wasn't real high for, for somebody to be doing this. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And here's Zechariah, his He's an older man, and he's been doing this year after year after year, and, and most likely was never picked. We would have probably been told that he'd done it before. So here this guy is, the lot you know, gets cast, and eh, not, we're not doing this again, and over and over and over again. And this was such a big deal because, as we may see, I think that we have a picture coming up. Uh, we, we, Herod had, had rebuilt the temple, actually, if we're looking at Herod the Great. And, and if we go ahead and go to the next one, and you see up top there, as we zoom in, we, we see the altar of incense is number four. And, and if we look at number three here, that is the veil, and that separated the holy of holies or the most holy place. So getting to go in and burn incense here was the closest that any priest would ever get to the very presence of God on earth unless they were the high priest. The high priest would go once, once a year into the holy of holies, uh, and we'll talk, we've talked about that before. But, but this was a huge deal to get to go in and burn this incense to the Lord. And Zechariah had waited so long and, and had never had this, this, this chance to do it. And, and, and the beautiful thing is this isn't a luck thing. Uh, a lot of times we, see, we hear cast a lot and, and we think of, you know, kind of a gamble. You know, kind of just a chance kind of thing. But we see back in Israel's time, God controlled the lot. Like this was a holy lot that they would cast. And, and we see that in Proverbs 33. The lot is cast into the la- lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. So, so God had determined the last however many years that Zechariah had gone for those two weeks a year, you know, they, they did a morning and an evening burning of incense, and every time that lot, God had determined, not your turn, Zechariah, not today, not today. And over and over again, Zechariah is there like, I'm getting up there now. I mean, when's this going to happen? Am I ever going to get a chance? I may die before I get a chance to go in there. You know, I really want to do this, you know, and, and then here it comes. He gets his chance when God sovereignly orchestrates. It's, it's time to do that. And my friends, you may be wondering what's going on in your life right now. You're trying to persevere, but, but it's just not coming through. You're waiting for that lot to fall in your favor. When's thing, when are things going to work a little bit better for me? But be mindful that God is preparing you for the promise that he has. He's preparing you for eternal life. We know we have that promise of eternal life, and he is working on you. But as you persevere, he is sanctifying you. He is preparing you for eternal life. He's making you more and more like his son and to be made in his image more and more each and every day. And know that every situation that happens, it seems like it may be chance, but the God is in sovereign control because he, he holds everything in his hands. We can rest in him, knowing that he is always working. And number three, we, cannot, we know that God is always working in the midst 
of the proclamation of the promise, the proclamation of the promise. And we're going to be kind of chipping away here, 11 through 23. So let's go ahead and do 11 through 13 first. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So now we're coming to the climax of this, this sermon and of this section of Scripture. I, I, can, I can promise you if, you, if you start off, and there appeared to him an angel, that's going to be the climax of that passage pretty much going to be the climax. Uh, you know, I don't know about you all, but I haven't had an angel that just kind of, and there appeared an angel. I mean, that would be the climax of my life if something like that happened. I mean, how amazing is that? And, and I feel like that this word for troubled is a little underwhelming. You know, I mean, like it, it could also mean disturbed. And I think that's probably, it's like, you know, I mean, you're just, you're going in thinking, you know, you've seen all these people time after time, go in, burn the incense, come back out. It just seems like that's what we do, you know. It's kind of like, you know, you go to work, you come back, you know, it's something, it's just how things go. I mean, you know, it, it's uneventful. It's just, and, and he goes in to do his duty, and an angel appears to him. I mean, that definitely is pretty disturbing. And it says, fear fell upon him. And I love this personification of fear. It, it's like a person just boom, just fell right on him. Like, it feels like, you know, if you, I don't know if you ever had somebody just lay on top of and you're just stuck, you know, wrestling with your kids and they just get on your, you, you, get, you like team up on you. I got a four of them now, so now they can, they can keep me down a little longer. But, 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 you know, you're looking and it's like, hey, fear fell upon him. I mean, he just feels like he's paralyzed by fear. Have you ever felt that way where it was tangible? You know, just fear fell on you and you're like, you're just paralyzed. You can't hardly move what is going on. That's where Zechariah is. But as soon as he feels that paralyzation of fear, what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. Absolutely. Do not be afraid. And, and they're so comforting, aren't they? And actually, in the scriptures, this fear not, do not be afraid, have no fear, that com combination of words is 33 times in the Bible. And interestingly, many of these times are when an angel appears or Jesus speaks or God speaks, do not be afraid. And, and uh, our natural response to God should be... and pretty much is reverential fear. We should be fearful of God, not in a, uh, his wrath is upon us, unless we are an unbeliever, then you absolutely, if you aren't right with Christ, his wrath is upon you, and when you die, his wrath will put you in hell for all eternity. That is something to fear, as we see in scripture, but if you are in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of God. We should be reverentially fearing God, and that means that we respect him, that we see him as he is God, and although we can approach him with confidence, although he loves us, although his wrath has been appeased by the cross of Jesus Christ, and he sees us as righteous, he still is God, and we need to honor him as such. And then we come to this message from the angel. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, remember they are a, a, a veteran couple, we'll say. You like that? I think that's code for old. Um, so they're a veteran couple, uh, and, and they're going to have a son named John, whose name means God is gracious. What, a, what an appropriate name. Now I'm looking around at my other, other Jonathans and, and John in here. God is gracious. Such a, such a good name. Way to name your kid after John or Jonathan. Um, so the angel even reminds Zechariah that he, had, that he had a prayer. I don't know what that was, but uh, I guess he liked the name John. There we go. Um, so the, <laughs> the angel even reminds Zechariah about a prayer that he had been offering. Now, we don't know what this prayer was exactly. Uh, you know, was, 
Was this prayer for a son? Uh, probably. I mean, I'm sure you had prayed for a son for quite some time. Now, was that prayer still happening at this point? I'm not so sure. Uh, Zechariah is, is getting up there. Again, he's a veteran at this point, and, and I don't think he's necessarily praying that way, but he is still probably praying for the Messiah. So, so part of this, when they would go for incense, many of these priests would go in praying for deliverance for Israel. Remember, they're, they're under Roman uh, dictatorship here, Roman authority, and they have to do whatever Rome wants them to. And even though Herod appeased them by, by rebuilding that temple, yeah, it was for political purposes. It wasn't because Herod really loved the, the Jews. He, he did that to earn favor and so that there wouldn't be an uprising so he could control the people and get their tax money and that kind of thing. So either way, though, John was answered to both of these. He was answered to that prayer probably from years and years of Zechariah praying for a son and praying that his reproach and his wife's reproach would be removed from them, but also prayer for deliverance, prayer for deliverance because John the Baptist would be preparing the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And either way, we can be sure that God always hears our prayers too. It may seem like he doesn't. You know, we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing seems to happen and there's no breakthrough, but, but know that God does hear our prayers and that, that breakthrough, if it is in God's will, will happen eventually. It may not be in our time, as we're going to see. I'm sure it wasn't in their time, but he will come through. And now we're going to learn more about this special child of blessing that Gabriel has just said in these next four verses. So let's start in 14 and keep moving. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before him in the power and spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow, I mean, there's, just, there's a lot here to break down. And so I have broken this down into kind of seven points. It's in your, in your thing here. We'll just kind of go through these just to see the promises uh, about who John would be. Uh, many will rejo- rejoice at his birth is the first one here and we see that god the people will see that god is sovereign and still doing miracles here this veteran couple <laughs> is about to have a baby she's beyond childbearing years so we saw who, who do you remember in genesis when this happened abraham and sarah so he's doing it again we have another veteran couple about to have a kid and everybody's going to know hey this isn't natural she is postmenopausal she shouldn't be having kids, and so everyone is going to glorify and rejoice at his birth because they know, hey, something special just happened. Number two, he will be great before the Lord. God has a special plan for this child. He's not just any child. He has a special plan for this child, and he will have power given to him by God. Number three, he must not drink wine or strong drink. So this child will be set apart. He's holy unto the Lord. And he's not going to be controlled by any substance on this earth. He will be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. He will not be drunk. He'll be drunk in the Spirit, not drunk in alcohol. And some consider uh, John uh, possibly a Nazarite in Numbers 6-3, which was a vow in the Old Testament. But we're not really sure about that. We we see a couple of things, and they kind of pick some things out. But we don't know. We just know that he is set apart from the Lord, or for the Lord. Number four, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in Elizabeth's womb. We're going to go into this a little bit more because we see in Luke one forty four. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
How amazing is that? The, the boy, this baby is filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. You know, I mean, you know, and so we have a lot to teach there with not, not a lot of time to do it this time. But, I mean, obviously life begins at conception, and we believe that wholeheartedly as a church, and the Bible teaches that wholeheartedly as the Word of God. Number five, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and, to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So this is quite a mouthful, and we're like, well, what exactly is he saying here? What he's saying is that John will preach repentance and faith. He will preach repentance and faith. And through that repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, relationships will be healed between believers and believers. Now, obviously, we know that Jesus came and he did separate. You know, the sword of Jesus does separate sometimes family, sometimes friends, because those who are for Christ are uh, either if you're either for him or you're against him. And so there is that. But those who do repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, the, the, the relationships between man and God are, are better and, and right, and relationships between man and man are right when we're in Christ. So what he's saying is, hey, if you, he's going to preach repentance and faith, and relationships are going to be healed for those who do repent and put their faith in Christ. Number six, he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. We see in the book of Matthew that Jesus says that John is the Elijah that is to come, Matthew eleven fourteen. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Obviously, we know that he is not Elijah in person because we actually see him say in John one twenty one that he's not Elijah in the flesh. So what, what Jesus is saying is that he is the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Elijah who is to come that we see in Malachi 4.5. And he comes filled with the same Holy Spirit power that Elijah had. You want to read a really cool guy? Read about Elijah in the Old Testament. I mean, he does some amazing things, tons of power, calls fire from the sky. I mean, just some really cool stuff. John the Baptist comes with that fire, that fervor that is given to him by the Holy Spirit. And finally, we see that he will make ready a, for, for the Lord a people prepared. In Malachi 3.1, uh, we see, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, behold he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. John is the messenger who will prepare the way for Christ. He will prepare them to encounter God made flesh. How amazing is that? Now, I don't want us to get lost in all the weeds of these prophecies, but what I want you to, I want you to praise God for his sovereignty. So here this angel is speaking as if John has already lived his life, and he speaks things just, this is what he's going to do. Boom, boom, boom. How amazing is that that God knows everything and how wonderful he is before this man is even conceived at this point. And let's go ahead and see Zechariah's response to this. You know, things have been pretty positive so far. And now we're going to get to 18 to 20, and we're going to kind of scratch our head for a second. And, and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day or until, until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Hmm. So after all this just amazing encounter, Zechariah has waited his whole life to get there. I mean, you think this guy's a veteran. He would know what to say, what not to say. He's been holy and blameless. He's been walking with the Lord. I mean, if anybody could handle an angel appearing to him, this guy was it, you know? Here he is, and what's he do? 
he puts his foot right in his mouth. I mean, just right off the bat. I mean, it's like, you know, he just, the angel of the Lord, because the angel of the Lord not only promised this son to, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he also just let Zechariah know who this kid's going to be, what he's going to do, how he's going to be, you know, be, be the, the, the forerunner for Jesus Christ. I mean, he's even spoken as if this kid's already lived his life. I mean, so, so it's not, there was no doubt in Gabriel's voice whenever he gave this message. It was, hey, this is what's happening. You're going to have this kid, and this is, how he's, this is what he's going to do. Zechariah gets really practical all of a sudden. You know, he, he practically informs the angel that he and his wife are too old. I can just see him just being like, hey, Gabe, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure, but have you noticed how old I am? Have you seen my wife? I mean, we've been, we've been around the block for a little while. She hadn't had, a, she hadn't had her cycle for, for years. I mean, decades maybe. I mean, this, this is not a, I think you got the wrong guy. I mean, you know, you're just looking, you're like, Zechariah, what are you doing? He just, he just said, and this, this, this priest of the Lord, he knows the Bible. I mean, this guy, like some of these guys memorized big sections of the Bible. Genesis shouldn't have been that far from his mind to be like Abraham and Sarah. I mean, he did it before, and now he's saying he's going to do it again. And I think, you know, when we read this, we're just like, Zechariah, you just want to hit your head and be like, what is wrong with you? My friends, though, can we relate to Zechariah? Can, can we relate? Can, can we put ourselves in his situation and God kind of says, hey, here's this, and, and you're just there being like telling God why that's not going to work? You know what? Like, God, I, I can't do that. Have you, have you seen me? I can't preach the gospel. I can't even speak in front of people. You know what I mean? Like, I, I had a speech impediment when I was a kid. Like, you know, it was like, you're going to have me be a, a, a preacher? You know, or I don't like to stand up in front of people. I don't you got Jim, he, he teaches this growth group each week. I, I, I'm sure if you asked him, hey, do you want to stand up in front of people? He's an engineer. Most engineers, that's not their first thing, is I want to stand up in front of people and talk. But God has other plans. And, and when we try to do that whole, God, I, I don't know, if, are you aware of this? Are, are you aware of my struggles, my shortcomings, my inadequacies? Are you serious? Like, when we really think about how we react to God's call at times, I mean, we're just as ridiculous as Zechariah here, where we're like, do we think we can say something that God doesn't know already? Like, God knows how many hairs are on our heads. Do you know how many hair are on your heads? And even for some of us that have less hair, we still have, there's little ones, so you just, you can't see them quite as well, but they're there. God knows each one of those. Sorry to offend some of those. Uh, I, you know, I just keep mine shaved, but, but, but God knows everything about us. Do you think anything we say to God is a surprise? That he's like, yeah, yeah. And so, we so often, like I've said before, can be nearsighted. And we see our problems as so big, as I've talked about before. And sometimes we see God as so little. And so we, before we judge him too harshly, let us realize that we're just about as ridiculous as Zechariah in this. And so we need to make sure we look at ourselves as well. And in Zechariah's doubt and his unbelief here, things don't go too smoothly for him. Uh, Gabriel name drops here. I'm Gabriel. Like, I don't know if you've heard of me, but you look in the book of Daniel, I did some pretty cool stuff. I revealed some pretty amazing things. I'm that guy. You're a priest. You know what I told Daniel. You know the prophecies that I shared. Like, there's only two, two angels of the Lord that we get their names, and it's Gabriel and Michael. And, and Gabriel drops his name here, and he's like, hey, man, I don't have any patience for your unbelief. Like, I stand in the presence of God Almighty. Like, wow, like that's tough. And I love how he says he stands in the presence of God Almighty because God is everywhere. So even though Gabriel has appeared to him, 
he's still in the presence of God. Like God, you can't get out of the presence of God. Yeah, there, yes, there was the, you know, behind the veil, the Holy of Holies, but God is, is everywhere. Here we, here we see that again taught, which is so beautiful. Because of Zechariah's questioning, specifically, specifically because Zechariah did not, what, believe his words. Gabriel tells him in verse 20 that he will be mute until John is born. Actually, we're, we're told that he will be mute until all things take place, which could have been until John the Baptist died. Um, but God was gracious and gave him his voice back. We'll see in, in the same chapter in verse 64 in Luke 1. But moving a little further, we see Zechariah coming out to the people after this encounter. Let's look at 21 through 23. And the people, remember this multitude that were out there praying, if we look back, and these people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Right, he was supposed to go in, come back out, uneventful. Like that's how people have been doing it for years. And he obviously took a little while to have this conversation uh, with, with the angel. So it's been a little while. It says, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. We know when a vision. We know he saw an angel. Like this wasn't just some esoteric, holographic kind of thing. This was an angel in his presence. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. I, I love that he still finished out his time. You know, some people have been like, I'm done, man. I'm, I'm going back home. This has been crazy. He finished out his service, and then he went back home. Obviously, wasn't communicating too well at that point. But, but you see, like, this multitude had been praying, and this was a pretty common thing. Some people say they think it was the evening burning of incense because there were more people at that point. But it could have been the morning or the evening. We don't know. And he comes out, and, and this multitude looks at him, and they're like, man, something supernatural happened. And I'm sure his face probably looked like he just saw a ghost. You know, he walks out. I mean, I'm sure his eyes are huge, and he's just like, what, what just happened? And he comes out, and he's mute. And he can't even communicate the gloriousness of what he just saw. Uh, he just saw an angel of the Lord, Gabriel himself, one of the two angels we see mentioned in Scripture, has just revealed this amazing plan of God and he can't tell anybody. I mean, we're looking for a while. We don't know how long it took her to conceive, and we, we'll see in, at the, you know, at the, toward the end of Luke here that he'll finally speak, but he can't communicate hardly at all what's going on here. I mean, how, how, how amazing, you know, he, he has to kind of keep a lot of this in. And church, you may have heard this whole account, and you're like, well, how do I, how do I apply this to, to my life? Obviously, we've seen that we need to believe God. We don't need to question him. We need to make sure we believe what he says, that he knows us a lot better than we know ourselves, and that he can equip us, even in our weaknesses, to do what he wants us to do. But I think first and foremost, we see Gabriel. He's a, he proclaims the word of the Lord. And what are we to do about the promise of God? We're to proclaim the promise of God to others here. Yes, God can use angels, which he did here. He, he uses angels to, to, to bring his messages. But you know what? He's decided to use us, church to proclaim the gospel to our world. And so may we be faithful, and may we uh, who have accepted that promise and, and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, repented of our sins, who are children of the promise, may we go forth and share how great this promise is that's been given to us. There's so many that don't know that promise. I'm going to talk a little bit more later about our evangelistic outreach. That I want, I want to kind of personally just poke you all a little bit and say, hey, you know what? I love doing things as a church and going out and, and, and making a difference in our community. But we need to own this ourselves. Each one of us who are in Christ, who have been saved and are stilled with the promised Holy Spirit, we all have the guarantee of that promise. We all have eternal life. Many of us know people, work with people, have neighbors, have family members even, 
who don't have that promise, who, who that promise is so far from them we can't even imagine. But we are to proclaim that promise. Our job is to proclaim that, and I pray that you're prayerful about that and that you take this opportunity to, to proclaim that promise that we'll talk about later. Because our God is a God of his promise, and he does keep it. And our world is desperate for a Savior. And finally, we get to our last point in this section. God is always working in the midst of the praise after the promise. The praise after the promise. Let me read these last two verses here in 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take, aw to take away my reproach among people. Here we see the fulfillment of the promise that Gabriel brought. Elizabeth is pregnant. She's waited her whole life for this moment. How, how glorious this was for her. And many have undertaken to figure out, why did she hide herself for five months? You know, like, wh where does that come in? And, and everything to try to explain that would be speculation. But I think probably what's most logical is that she used this as a time of praise and rejoicing. She had waited her whole life for this moment. And, and she, this, these five months, she's able to spend time with the Lord. Because think about how her rejoicing and her joy would have been dampened by the people around her. Because uh, she couldn't just go around and say, hey, everybody, I'm pregnant. They didn't have, a, a, you know, a pregnancy test to go around showing everybody they were positive. You know, that, that, that wasn't where science and technology was. So it would have just been like her just saying, hey, I'm pregnant. I know I'm pregnant. You know, I've missed my cycle the last couple months. I know people would have been like, dude, you're old. You're, you're not pregnant. I don't know what's going on. You probably haven't had a cycle for decades. Like, and so, so they would have stolen her joy and her rejoicing, uh, and they would have been like, hey, because she had reproach, we see here, reproach among the people. So this way, she had five months where she could praise the Lord and not be dampened by the reproach of those around her. And what do you think miraculously happens around five months? It becomes a little bit more obvious that you're pregnant. You start to see a baby move a little bit. People can feel it, and all of a sudden, they're like, wow, Maybe she is pregnant. You know, at that point, she could, she could reveal herself, and people would be buying what she's selling. Oh, yeah, I remember your husband had that weird experience. He couldn't talk for a while. You know, he said that, you know, I, I get it. Okay, okay, you're, you're telling the truth. So, so how amazing is that? And how overjoyed must have Elizabeth been at this time? My friends, we're going to have our promise fulfilled eventually as well. And it's fulfilled as far as eternity speaks. But one day, we will have our eternal blessing of an eternal life with Jesus Christ, where there's no more pain, no more tears, that glorious time. Uh, we face reproach like Elizabeth did. We live in a world where people don't always look at us in the best light. Uh, you're a Bible thumper, or you know, uh, you're a prude, or, or you know, we're not going to let them come here. We're not gonna. And so, so a lot of us have experienced what it's like to be left out or persecuted because of that. A lot of us in other countries have experienced death uh, you know, because of this, and even in this country some. But one day, our reproach will be removed. How amazing is that? We will be in a place where we are fully loved by all around us. We will be in a place where there will be no more relationship struggles, no more gossip, no more harmful words or sharp stares or sharp glances. As Revelation 21, 4 says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So we read this account, we see the first three verses and these final two verses provide this personal bookend regarding the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We, we start off with this sad news of, of barrenness, and even though they're doing what's righteous, they're, they're 
barren. But then we end with seeing this blessing and mercy of this child. And as we close, I, I want us to see how we relate to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Right now, things might feel barren. Right now, think you might not be barren yourself. You may have people, but, but you may be having struggles. There may be something in your life that just, man, it's just not working out. This isn't going well. I have struggles. This, is, this isn't going. You may feel that reproach from people around you. Yeah, they, they just look at me like I'm a goody two-shoes, and you know, I, I'm just struggling. I can't do this, or things just don't work out the same way. I, if I fudged on my numbers, I'm sure my cells would be a lot higher like this guy that I know that's doing it. You know, there's all those things where we, we, we receive that reproach because we want to do what's right. We want to be obedient. I pray that you are obedient, that you are doing what's right. Life can be hard, but in this world that's difficult, we know that we can persevere because we have the promise of God, promise of eternal life. We know that God is preparing us. He's sanctifying us, making us more like his son. And he's preparing, and as we pre- prepare and persevere, may we be proclaiming that promise to others because we know one day, we're going to be able to live in praise to God in heaven. We can be praising God absolutely right now, but one day we're going to praise God for his finished work. It's been finished on the cross. It's the already and not yet. I'm sure you all have heard, maybe heard that before. The, the work is already done, but we have not yet tasted in heaven, but one day we will. And I pray that we keep persevering for his promise never fails. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone here has received that promise, received salvation in Jesus Christ, that they put their faith and trust in you, repented of their sins, and that they've been eternally saved. How amazing you are to have provided that, that you died for us who are sinners, us who deserve no such promise, us who deserve the promise of of hell is what we deserve, but God, you've given us the promise of eternal life if we place our faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose three days later, is now at the right hand of the Father. How, how amazing are you and that we repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways and turn toward you. God, I pray that if anyone here has not done that, that they do that. For us who have, I pray that we live like we have, that we live as children of the promise, that we persevere, that we know that we are being prepared, that we proclaim the the salvation, that we proclaim the good news of the gospel to others, and that we praise you as we await the time of glorious praise for all eternity in heaven. We have to praise your name. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you, and may you always be glorified through our lives. Amen. All right, so...